Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. set for tonight, Mr. Trump. I wonder what Trump's game is this time. Trump's got a new game. Hey, Trump's got a new deal. What's your game, Donald? Heard about Trump's new deal? What? What? Trump has a new game. What is it? Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump. Is it an airline? A new convention set by Mr. Trump. Is it a convention? Mr. Trump, please. My new game is Trump the game. Trump the game, where you deal for everything you've ever wanted to own. Because it's not whether you win or lose, it's whether you win. Yes! Play Trump the game from Milton Bradley. I think you'll like it. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa podcast. Ever since last Saturday morning, when Joe Biden was declared the winner of the 2020 presidential election, Donald Trump has remained hunkered down in the White House, refusing to concede the election. Holed up in the West Wing, surrounded by doofus Don Jr. and Eric Trump, along with a cadre of hardcore loyalists and sycophants, Trump has fired off a litany of baseless and dangerous claims that the election was stolen from him. Do you think we're stupid? You think we're fools? In a remarkable rebuke of the president's baseless claims, Trump's own Department of Homeland Security stated that the election was the most secure in American history. And in a Wall Street Journal op-ed, Karl Rove, the political mastermind of the George W. Bush administration, and no stranger to fucked up political games himself, has declared the election to be over. The Department of Homeland Security says the election was the most secure ever, despite President Trump's fraud claim. Insiders report a bunker-like final day's atmosphere amongst the president and the hardcore cadre of Trump loyalists, all who barricaded themselves with him inside the White House. It's Waco on the Potomac, folks, a fitting end to the dumpster fire that was the Trump presidency. I am the third revelation. I am the third revelation. After four years of division, the president is now almost completely alone. The red wall of senatorial support that has thus far backed Trump's claim of voter fraud is temporary at best, an act of real politic by Mitch McConnell in his quest to maintain a GOP majority. A growing number of Senate Republicans are saying that President-elect Joe Biden should receive classified intelligence briefings and other support as part of the presidential transition process. And every day comes another Republican endorsement of Biden's victory. Sickness and infection have spread karmically through the West Wing as well, with Mark Meadows, Corey Lewandowski, Dave Bossy, all COVID positive. This morning, the Trump administration is yet again the center of a COVID outbreak. Housing Secretary Ben Carson, a doctor and member of the president's COVID panel, and David Bossy, who's leading the president's election legal team, among at least nine people in Trump's circle to be diagnosed in recent days. In a triumph of tabloid journalism, the Daily Mail described an increasingly erratic Donald Trump, deranged and angry, seemingly unable to accept reality. Staffers have taken to lighting rose-scented candles to fight the stench of fast food and man-ass emanating from the president, his sons, Steve Bannon, and whoever else is left in Trump's inner circle. 
It's like a cross between Hitler's bunker and the campfire scene in Blazing Saddles. Gang! Oh, <laughs> How about four beans, Mr. Tiger? I'd say you've had enough. <laughs> I awoke this morning and had to remind that this wasn't all just a fucked up dream. That we are actually living in a farce that not even Seth MacFarlane could create. But you have to hand it to the guy. Trump's not leaving quietly. At this point, though, those of you still worried for the republic that somehow Trump will overturn the election and remain president for four more years is some grand coup. Needn't be. There's no strategy here other than figuring out how to squeeze every last drop of juice from the chaos that he's created. Donald Trump knows this is over. Nobody thinks he won this election other than your crazy Uncle Eddie, so it's fucking over. So those still obsessing over his legal challenges in Wayne County, Michigan, are missing the absolute larger point. Someday this war's gonna end. A new report from the New York Times' Maggie Haberman shows a president who knows he has lost the election, but is determined to play out every possible scenario. Mr. Trump is simply trying to survive from one news cycle to the next, seeing how far he can push his case against his defeat and ensure the continued support of his Republican base, says Haberman. The goal here is simply to create chaos and controversy and watch what happens. Some men just want to watch the world burn. In Trump's mind, the longer he stays at the center of the story, the more fealty he can command from his base for whatever comes next. That is what's truly on his mind. So, when the votes are certified for Joe Biden, he can announce his candidacy for 2024 and instantly become the outside challenger once again. It's the kind of made-for-TV moment that Trump relishes. Remember, Trump is nothing if not a creature of television. And if you're a reality producer, what better spectacle is there than the president holed up inside the White House refusing to concede this election? the Donald's last stand. He wants his half of the electorate absolutely glued to nothing but him. And so far, it's working. He won't be president anymore, but he's managed to reduce everything to this one final moment. This tube is the gospel, the ultimate revelation. This tube can make or break presidents, popes, prime ministers. This tube is the most awesome goddamn force in the whole godless world. And woe is us if it ever falls into the hands of the wrong people. Predictably, there's a price tag attached to the president's coup. And what you're seeing now is just another sleazy con by Donald Trump. He's carpetbagging his own people with breathless appeals to defend the election in a series of fundraising letters. But there is no grand strategy here because there was no fucking fraud. Nothing to look at. Back to work, everyone. The money's going to fund his future Save America pack and amounts to a fan-subsidized cash grab. Whatever happens next, other people are going to wind up paying. And by all measure, money is pouring in from people who can't afford to give it up. It's like an OnlyFans page for corrupt conservatives. President Trump is refusing to concede, vowing to forge ahead with a legal fight to contest the election. The campaign has launched an official election defense fund. They're calling it the, quote, official election defense fund. 
scroll down to the fine print at the bottom of the page and it shows if you donate 60% will go towards paying down campaign debts. Campaign finance attorneys say the money is going toward a new political action committee the president founded called Save America. That money is a slush fund that could go directly to the president. This type of fund has fewer restrictions on how the money is spent and can be used to pay for personal expenses. The more likely scenario for Trump beyond a second presidential bid is the emergence of a Trump media network with its own streaming service aimed directly at Fox, for whom he is still pissed at for calling Arizona for Biden. Trump's only hope for a future payday is to take his MAGA hordes with him. There will soon be an unholy alliance of right-wing media brands combined to create a Trump media network. That's all I hear about now. That's all I hear. Turn on television. Right? COVID, 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 COVID. A plane goes down. 500 people dead. They don't talk about it. COVID, 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 COVID. By the way, on November 4th, you won't hear about it anymore. It's true. COVID, COVID. Please don't go and vote COVID. Very soon, you'll be able to join your MAGA hordes 24 hours a day from the comfort of your living room and hear only the news you want to hear. You'll be able to deny science and hate black people for $4.99 a month. This is the only real way for Trump to make money in the future. His lists are the envy of political organizers with tens of millions of emails and cell phone numbers which can be immediately deployed for a myriad of purposes all aimed at converting Trump voters into Trump customers. Trump stakes are the world's greatest stakes, and I mean that in every sense of the word. Treat yourself to the very, very best life has to offer. And as a gift, Trump stakes are the best you can give. One bite and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And believe me, I understand stakes. It's my favorite food. The real fear is in Trump's fruitless assault on democracy and the norms of presidential decorum. The system is strong enough to repel his pathetic attacks. Rather, he's playing a dangerous game in denying the Biden administration access to vital intelligence briefings and other information. Our enemies are always watching and probing for weakness. In the aftermath of our last contested election in the year 2000 came the September 11 attacks. The intelligence community has stated without doubt that in those months of confusion that preceded the election, vital connections were missed and communication hampered, which could have stopped the attacks from happening in the first place. Couple that with the fact that Trump was never that interested in governing in the first place and he's setting the stage for a dangerously incompetent lame duck period. Beyond what he won't do is the fact that there's little stopping him from doing whatever the fuck he wants. Expect a flurry of pardons for everyone from Steve Bannon to Rudy Giuliani and scores of friends of Trump who have committed unforgivable crimes. The President of the United States writing, Steve Bannon has nothing to do with me or my presidency. When he was fired, he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. In 65 days, Trump will be gone. Maybe even sooner than that. I bet he heads back to Mar-a-Lago for Thanksgiving and never returns. Why would he? In his mind, he'll just look like a loser sitting in the White House. He might as well stay in Palm Beach where everyone kisses his ass and he can 100% control his environment. It's not like he'll be administering or governing except to dole out pardons for his friends and family. COVID? Good luck, schmucks. Economic stimulus plan? Fuck you, pay me. Nope. 
Our transitional president will leave as he came, trying to fleece us for every last fucking dollar. A schmuck on wheels? Corey, please. You know, Jimmy, you borrowed his money. Pay him. I didn't agree to three points above the vig. What am I fucking nuts? What are you going to do? Come on. Gonna... The unofficial anthem for Joe Biden's 2020 victory in various urban locales has been the YG and Nipsey Hustle track, Fuck Donald Trump. Fuck Donald Trump. Fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, nigga, fuck Donald Trump. Impromptu parties have broken out across the country, and this song can be heard as the backdrop to a wider sense of recrimination and anger around not just what Trump has done to the country, but what he and his most ardent supporters stand for in their desire to erase those that disagree with the president from conversation. So yeah, fuck Donald Trump. May his final days be one of bitter humiliation, you piece of shit. The rest of the world certainly cannot wait for this man to be gone from the scene as well, witnessed by the outpouring of congratulatory calls to President-elect Biden from foreign leaders as diverse as the Pope to longtime Trump supporter and Turkish strongman Erdogan. Whatever kinship he felt for the president, like so many others, were merely transactional at best. So, as the world holds its breath for these last eight weeks and we usher out the failure of a Trump era, Many are looking ahead to how the nation can purge itself of Trumpism. This is also at the heart of a larger schism within the GOP itself. While Donald Trump maintains an iron grip on the party with his populist base of supporters, the GOP as a brand wants to find a way to cleanse itself of this poison. But they are now stuck with a monster of their own making. What's worrisome Beyond the current state of things is how Donald Trump has opened up Pandora's box for the next Donald Trump to take the country down and even a darker path. Only next time this individual will learn from the mistakes of his predecessor and be smarter, slicker, and far more insidious. They will seek to create an autocratic law and order state that builds upon what Donald Trump started. This is the enduring legacy of Trumpism, and it is a terrifying thought indeed. To answer these questions and look at the current state of the party, as well as what the hell these senators are actually thinking in their support of Trump's voter fraud claims, I reached out to the former chairman of the RNC, Michael Steele. It is his belief that the next great threat to democracy will indeed come from within his party, unless the GOP finds a way to repair the damage done by Donald Trump. So let's listen now to that conversation. All right, so I'm here right now with the great Michael Steele. How you doing, Mike? Hey, man, I'm doing well, baby. Looking good, feeling good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So, all right, jumping straight into this. We're now well over a week since Joe Biden was declared president-elect. And rather than accept the will of the people, of course, Trump and his surrogates have dug you know, deep into what looks like a prolonged and tedious fight with little hope of overturning the election. As the former chairman of the RNC, you must be hearing what's really happening behind the scenes. Why are Senate Republicans refusing to accept the election results? Is it about the Georgia runoff and the balance of power in the Senate? Or is it some deeper fear of Donald Trump? What's really going on here? Well, it's a combination of the two, actually. Um, so from one stance, you have um, you have the leadership, which has in mind, and this is McConnell, uh, especially has in mind how they hold control of, of the Senate. And that right now is the state of Georgia. The two seats that are in play 
uh, are, are going to be uh, outcome determinative. They're going to make the difference whether he comes back as a majority leader or as a minority leader. So they don't want to do anything to piss off Trump. They don't want to do anything that Trump would tweet or say that would then lead to a depression in the turnout of Republicans for that special election. It is going to be hard enough to get people to think without Trump at the, on the top of the ticket, such as we just said with the presidential election, uh, without all of the, the fanfare and, and um, you know, focus that comes with a big national election, uh, you, it's gonna be hard enough to get people to go through Thanksgiving, go through Christmas, go through New Year's, oh, and then vote. Uh, and so they don't want any additional distractions that could further depress what they already anticipate is the normal depression that comes with special elections. Uh, so that's one. And two, there is still this, this sense of, particularly given that it is not clear what role Donald Trump is going to play in the aftermath of his presidency relative to the Republican Party. I have my bet on what that may be. I'm sure you know what that will be, basically having worked with him. Um, they don't want to upset that apple cart, man. They just don't want uh, to create any external noise um, around Trump until they are, as they would see it, free and clear, meaning the administration is done, um, there, there's going to be new uh, lines uh, developing and forming around who's going to be the next individual or a group of individuals to seek the nomination in two in four years. Then, of course, you've got the elections coming up in 22. If they do lose the Senate, they don't want to create any disruptions with this base that Trump has a hard lock on. Um, they don't want to see those guys peel off. I think it's a myopic and highly irrational approach to politics to have one man um, put you on lockdown the way this president has. But that's the, that's the landscape right now. But right now, what's driving it is Georgia. Huh. So tell me, so you brought up a prediction. What is your prediction? Well, my prediction is uh, right now, look, I'll give the advantage to the Republicans on, on the Georgia elections because it's Georgia. Uh, but here's, here's the part that I don't think anyone can accurately account for, uh, Michael, and that is the work that Stacey Abrams has done in Georgia since the 2018 election is nothing short of a political miracle in order to, to move and push Georgia to the point that it would not only be competitive uh, in a presidential election, but likely will have flipped for the Democrats in that presidential election. So that's one. Two, the next question becomes, all right, so you flipped it for, for Trump. How does that play out for a Senate race? How does that play out for statewide race? Well, you've got two statewide races, and here's, again, an advantage that she'll have. She just needs to beat the drumbeat of what, you know, the governor and the Republicans did in 2018 to suppress the vote to steal the election, their terms, right? Um, and, and to remind voters, we can avoid that. We can avoid a repeat of that at the statewide level by electing these two Democratic senators. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if she can create that narrative, she can sustain that narrative, but you cannot discount what she's been able to do to, to agitate and, and engage a Democratic base vote to move 
center-left, center-right, independent voters towards the Democrats. And again, how Donald Trump plays in this cycle, in this special election cycle, will matter. I'm looking right now, Michael, to see if all of this uh, narrative around the election fraud and all of the, the, the attempts to block the vote um, or to change the outcome of the election, if that just further stimulates that special election vote uh, among Georgia voters. Um, so there are a lot of variables here and Republicans cannot rely on, oh, Georgia's a red state because it has shown it can trend a little bit purple and can actually flip the state for the Democrats if they aren't careful. Yeah, I think um, one of the big problems, of course, is that Trump is such a flawed candidate that depending upon which state and how badly they've been affected by either COVID-19 or now the economic depression that the country is facing. But I want to talk to you about for a sec, Trump's red wall of right. GOP protection. It seems really to be crumbling. In just the past day, both Ohio Governor Mike DeWine and Karl Rove have both come out and said that Biden has won the election. And Oklahoma Senator James Lankford said that he would intervene as soon as Friday if the Trump administration continues to refuse to grant Biden access to presidential daily intelligence briefings. How much longer do you see the rest of the holdouts maintaining this charade for Trump? Because this is just... This is dangerous now. We've gotten past stupidity. We're now yeah. into the we're now into the sphere of dangerous. Yeah, no, actually, you know, you know, I chuckle at that because you're right. It it, it is stupid the way it plays out, but <laughs> no one should sleep on the on the finer and I think more important point that you make that this is dangerous. Uh, what the president is doing is deliberate, it is dangerous, and it is based on information he knows to be a lie. I can't even say it's false. He knows it's a lie. He knows it's there. You know, you've now had an assessment by all 50 state secretaries of states, all 50 have now come out and said that there has been no fraud in their state to the extent that it would change any of the numbers in any of the states in a red state, in a blue state. None of the numbers change. So what you're now seeing on the flip side of that is Langford, Rove, even Kevin McCarthy, the, the House Minority Leader. Uh, and others are now starting to come out and say, okay, one, the process is the process, regardless of the, the fact that a winner, quote, has not been determined, end quote. Uh, the process of, the, of, of providing the daily briefings to the Democratic candidate for president was taking place before the election and should continue to take place down. That's essentially what Lankford is saying. Um, that irrespective of the outcome, Biden is entitled to those uh, those briefings. So he's going to see that that happens come Friday because Trump isn't going to move on it before that. You know that. I know that. He's going to. So he, Langford, as the chairman of, of the relevant committee on Homeland Security, et cetera, will make sure that that happens. But then you factor in the Rove piece, which is particularly telling because the Rove piece touches on the donors and it touches on the establishment. So the donors and the establishment are now sending the signal to Trump, it's over. It's done. There are no numbers here that will work for you. You know, you may not like science, but you cannot 
fight math, right? The math is the math. And the math says that even if you did a recount of every vote in every state, in those critical states, you're going to be 50,000 votes down in Pennsylvania. You're going to be at least 14,000 votes down in Arizona. You're going to be about 27,000 votes down in Georgia or whatever. You're not going to overturn those numbers. I mean, when you do a recount, Michael, on any election, right? On a good recount, you may get 1,000 votes to switch, but typically it's somewhere between two and 500. You're talking a 40,000, 50,000 vote gap in Pennsylvania. Look, look, Michael, <laughs> here's the deal, all right? It, it's, this, is, this is what I lived with day in and day out at the Trump organization. Oh, man. Right? It, is, it is pure fucking insanity smashing into a wall of stupidity, ignorance, and arrogance. And that's really what we're looking at here. But I want to be honest with you here because you brought something up that the information that Donald Trump is spewing is not legitimate. Right. When he says that there are a million votes that were taken away from me in ballots and this person said that they saw it and this person, he is lying. Yes. Right? The same way that he lied to the American people and said that we sent people over to Hawaii to go find information out on Barack Obama's birth certificate. The same way that he, when he, oh, when he turns around and he says, you know, many smart people have told me. Now, it's bullshit. Nobody's told him. He's told himself. It's John Barron having a conversation right. with Donald Trump. And for those people right. that don't know, John Barron is the alter ego of Donald Trump. He makes this shit up in order to prove the truth of the matter asserted, right? It's right. hearsay, right? Donald Trump has hijacked the Republican Party and he has made people like Mitch McConnell and, uh, and others, right, kowtow to him to come in to kiss the ring. But the problem is there is no more ring because he's lost the election. Look, in 1974, during Watergate, it was Republican senators who marched up to the White House and they told Richard Nixon, dude, it's time to resign. Yeah. Now, yeah. obviously, this is a much different time. And partisanship has become a sickness. I mean, it's become a real sickness. Right. Still, this delusion can only go so far. At what point does Mitch McConnell and company turn their back on President Trump and accept the results of the election? And will they really drag it out until December 13th and the certification of the state's votes? Well, that both very good questions, um, uh, and the answer is yes on 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 the second one that they they will drag it out, um, and on will they eventually go to the president? Um, you know, I think that the reality and the truth of it is, it almost doesn't matter if they go to the president or not because Trump is going to do whatever Trump has already decided he's going to do. He's, he's executing a play, a script that's in his head that is not revealed. You know how this works. He's not revealing it to everybody. He's just doing it. He's this shit spitballing. You know, he's just like, okay, now I'm going to fire Esper. I'm going to fire. I'm going to come after CIA. You know, one, one ruse is, all right, he's going to try to land, um, try to pull the troops out of, out of Afghanistan and out of the Middle East 
as much as he can before he goes uh, just to fuck with the system. That's one. So then, but then the other side of it is, you know, what if some point I need to, I need to, if I don't like the way this thing is going, that I, I create enough disruption that I need to put the military into use. I need to put in national intelligence into use. There are a whole bunch of scenarios that this guy is running through in his head. And the problem for someone like McConnell, going down to wash, going down to the Oval Office to say what? It's time for you to go. And what does Trump say to him? Okay. Have you ever known Donald Trump to just say okay to someone telling him what to do? The answer is no. Right. <laughs> exactly. Let me give you my take on to this. On what, what is Donald Trump going to do? First of all, Donald Trump can never concede. Because right. that would be tantamount to him calling himself a loser. And that's something that is, to him, fundamentally impossible. And so he will not concede. And he will continue to bring up these conspiracy theories of fake ballots right. all the way until December. And the reason he's going to do that is it's, it's really so crazy. It's because... He cannot turn around and acknowledge this loss because if he does, there is no way for him to fight over the next four or eight years claiming that the election was stolen from him. Right. He is going to create a media company. This is something we talked about in 2015. Exactly. He's, and, and this is all. So, folks, if you're listening, this is all a money grab from Donald Trump. This, that's all that this is. He is going to build himself a company. That's making money because the Trump organization doesn't make money. The only money that Donald right. Trump really actually made was off of The Apprentice. So now he's going to build a media company with the likes of Steve Bannon and um, Chris Ruddy and a group of others. He's going to go into competition with Fox, with Fox. News. That's yes, why he's tearing it he's down. Go into Yes, exactly. <laughs> Don't you see what he's doing? He's tearing Fox down now. He's probably talking to Megyn Kelly because she's done a 180 degree turnaround from her oh. hatred. Yes. Oh, for, my for God. Has she turned Trump. around. If this, this is so crystal clear to me because I know this bastard. I know exactly <laughs> what he's doing. He has right now, the, he has only two assets that are economically um, performing. For in his portfolio. The rest are all drains, and he doesn't have money. So he's going to go to these folks. He's going to create a Trump media company and a Trump TV, and he's going to launch this off the guys that you, my followers, my people, right? You need to stick with me and watch Trump media, Trump TV, because they stole the election from us. So he's going right. to bring them into the fold knowing that he has about 100 million followers. He's going to bring them into the fold so that he can now say, I'm bigger than the New York Times. I'm bigger than Fox. I'm bigger than everybody, right? And it's going to cost very yeah. little because he's going to do it through an internet-based platform. It's just plain and simple. Look, this is what, this is what the man is doing. I'm certain of it. So why, let me, can I ask you a real quick question, Michael, on that? I mean, because I, I, you and I, look, I, I don't, I, unfortunately, I did not run into you when I worked with Trump back in 2013, 14. Um, but I got a lot uh, from that experience, um, as short-lived as it was. But why, why can't people see this? What is it with this guy that people just think that, yeah, this, yeah. I'm going to go with the grifter. I'm going to go with the guy who's I know is lying, 
but I'm going to go with them anyway. I don't understand. And you're right. These people are going to sign up at $29.95 a month to just give their money to Donald Trump to keep this media enterprise going. What is it about him that makes people do that? Well, he's, in all fairness, he's a popularist. And people want to keep more money in their pockets. So the more he keeps saying, look, I could easily convince you to the Donald Trump side. I'd say, hey, Mike, you work hard for your money, correct? The answer is yes. And I say, you want to keep more of your money? Yes. Well, then you have to vote for me because Joe Biden's a socialist. He wants to take away your money. He wants to bring it up to a 70 percent tax rate and he wants to increase it on anybody that's making over X amount of dollars. And of course, He's going to lie about the numbers so that basically if you make $50 that you're going to pay 70% tax onto it and people start to buy into this bullshit simply because their 401ks right now are doing well. And I hate to say it, he says it. He, it's a very Stalinistic approach. He says it so often over and over and, and over. over again yeah, in a third grade vocabulary level so that anyone and everyone could understand it. It's almost like the McDonald's jingle. Everybody knows it. Right. It's been said so many times over and over and over. It's a Stalinistic approach. The more that you say something again and again, people will begin to believe it. But in, an, in a USA um, Today op-ed, Reed Galen, Steve Schmidt, Rick Wilson, and Stu Stevens wrote, the party we once called home exists now as a corrupted shell of its former self informed by neither principle nor philosophy. It's a political Chernobyl, radioactive and dangerous, but with a still unknown half-life. As the former RNC guy, talk to me about what they meant and what could be done to repair the damage. And will you stay away from the GOP until it purges itself of the Trump wing of the party? What I believe is the party needs a political enema, and I would like to be one of the many of us who would like to deliver that enema. It needs it needs a political cleansing. It has needed one for a while. I tried when I was chairman and, and obviously met with a lot of resistance and, and to, to that approach. The idea of expanding the party uh, and all of that was, was an anathema. It was not something they were really interested in doing. They liked how it sounded on paper. But when you actually did the practical implementation of it that would require spending of money uh, and making investments, that's when everything goes a little bit crazy. But what Steve and and Reed and and Stu and, and the fellows are, are talking about is is something that is profoundly important for I think the future uh, relevance of the GOP, and that is what do you stand for? What do you believe in? Right now we're talking about a Republican Party that can't even tell the country what it believes in because it has no platform. It is waiting for Donald Trump to tell them. This is what we stand for. This is what we believe in. You've talked about in the past, certainly I raised the flag at the time, you know, the shift in our platform away from, um, uh, you know, grounded um, Republican and conservative ideas around national security. So now we're all up in Putin's ass uh, around uh, free trade. Oh, no, we don't do that. We want to get into, you know, tariffs and 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 taxing our, our allies um, for, you know, through bad public finance, fiscal policy. Um, you know, they're good people on both sides. So we've just thrown out all of all of the work that we've done in the civil rights era, going back to the founding of the party. 
then you take the autopsy that Reince Priebus put together and he allowed Donald Trump come down the escalator and shit all over it by saying that Mexicans are rapists and, and, and murderers and then double down on that by putting their children in cages. So that's not who we are. That's not, when I joined the party at 17 back in 1976, that was not what I joined up for. It's not something that I ascribed to or, or professed as a Republican. So now you've watched in a very short order of time, those ideas around free trades and free markets, individual liberties in, the, in a limited government, et cetera, just systematically eroded. Now look, I learned in my short time working with Trump and watching him uh, that he will always tell you what he's gonna do because his belief is you can't stop him. And so far he's been right. He came in saying, hey, we're going to deconstruct the administrative state. He and Steve, uh, Steve Bannon and Rice Priebus sat on the stage during inaugural week telling the world, this is what we're going to do. Um, and so they set about doing that. And so for those of us who've been trying to stop, block, and tackle against that, it's, it's been around this idea that this is not who the country is. This is not who we are as Republicans. Um, and, and these values that brought us in are worth fighting for, man. I, you know, it, it, it matters to me who sits behind the resolute desk. Character matters. It's not just about getting a Supreme Court nominee that I like. It means also that the person who made that nomination is, has credibility with the American people, has empathy towards the American people, and is willing to invest himself and sacrifice his own ambitions to the Constitution. And that's not been what this guy is about. So they spoke to that very openly in that op-ed um, as a reflection of drawing the battle lines for the battle ahead. Well, on November 7th, in response to a tweet from Red State about Lincoln Project losers think they can resurrect the Republican Party, you replied, we, Lincoln Project, supported the winner, America. And remember that autopsy of the GOP? Well, Resurrection is what happens after something dies. How does the Republican Party move forward when Trump still maintains this iron grip on the party? And despite what happened at the top of the ticket, the GOP largely had a good down ballot yeah. on election day. Because I don't know how the GOP repairs itself until it purges itself of Trump. And right now, they remain completely under his thumb. So talk to me about this. How the fuck do you get rid of an autocrat that has hijacked right, an entire party based upon divisiveness, based upon hatred, based upon racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobe, xenophobe, Islamophobe, anti-Semites? How do you get rid of this wonderful person that has hijacked your party? Yeah, it, it, you, you just laid out the challenge that, that lies for a lot, a lot of us uh, in dealing with this. Look, you know, to a certain extent, Michael, there are people in the party who buy, who buy into that. They bought, they've bought into all the things. Look, you know, even in this election, given everything that um, they know and have heard about Donald Trump, right, 55% of white women voted for him given everything they know, grabbing them by the private parts, calling them bitches and hoes, basically, you know, the dogs and ugly, right? They, they bought into it. So you've got, this, you've got this, this mindset that he's tapped into where they connect in a genuine way with him along those things that they've always felt 
or believe themselves. So he's become their avatar. He's become the guy who says what I feel and says it the way I feel it. So that tells me that undoing this, unringing this particular bell is going to be extremely hard to do because it's going to require people to, inside the party to admit that they do agree with putting kids in cages. They do agree that they're good people on both sides. They do agree that, you know, Vladimir Putin and others like him, they're okay. I kind of like a little bit of an autocrat. They're going to have to make that admission. Until they do, they're going to resist any change. They're just going to continue to buy into it. So it's going to be a lot of holding up the mirror and reflecting back on them how, the, how much the country is changing, how different the country is. This is not the country of Donald Trump's youth. It is not. It is not the country of the 1950s. Because if you really go back and look at the 1950s, it wasn't all that great for white folks either. So people have this idealized view of what America was at a certain point in time. And the reality is that even back in that time, America was still changing. There were civil rights struggles. There were economic realities that came home to roost. The, uh, America was continue to, uh, continuing to expand to the West Coast of this country. There was a lot of movements going on. And so people sort of create this idyllic world in which they sort of put their own head as a matter of escapism. Donald Trump, through reality TV personalities and, and imagery, creates this world for them. But the stark reality is for the party, you still have to wake up and realize that in about less than 20 years, the country is going to look more like me than Donald Trump. The country is going to sound more like my Hispanic neighbor than Donald Trump. Now, you may not let me help you take, take you down that road and deal with that now. That's fine. But you're going to have to do it at some point with me or without me. I'm saying I can make it a little bit easier for you. But if you want to stay on stupid, you want to stay stuck on stupid, that's on you. The reality is going to be there to be confronted, whether in 2020 or 2040, it's going to happen. And so how does the party get itself positioned on that? It's going to be up to them. There are those of us who are going to try to help show the error of our ways in the past. I tried as national chairman. I will continue to try until I see there's no room for me to try anymore and leave it to someone else to do it. But the fight's there, my friend. It, it's, it's going to be a difficult one because a lot of people have bought into what Donald Trump is selling because it connects too much to what they already believe. Well, then let me ask you this then. Do you see a future where the populist Trumpian wing of the GOP defects and then they start a third party because mm. please understand, I know Donald Trump better than anybody. He's not stepping away. And he'll be, he'll be on his deathbed, screaming and crying and whining like the crybaby that he is. Ah, wah, they, <laughs> stole the, they stole the fucking election from me. Oh, God, God even just said to me they stole it. He, he acknowledged it. No, no. Right? right? It's <laughs> Will they start a third party? You know, that's, that's a good question. And my, my quick take on that is, why would I go out and try to create something when I already have the infrastructure in place that I can consume? 
So the RNC and its ancillary state party organization central committees are already in place around the country. They have enough Trumpified Republicans in those locations around the country, many of whom make up at least, if not more than a third of the Republican National Committee of 168 members. Um, so I, I think probably the first approach would be, let's just take over the operation we have. There's a reason why they put out there the noise that uh, that Don Jr. and his girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoy, are looking to, to make moves on the RNC. There's a reason why they're floating that Corey, Corey Lewandowski could be a potential RNC chairman. There's a reason why they tweeted out just, the president tweeted out just yesterday how much he likes, you know, uh, Ronna, Ronna McDaniels, the current chairwoman. And I know he doesn't mean that. You know he doesn't mean that. But what it does is it serves the particular purpose of deflection and distraction, number one. It also serves the purpose of, of creating this, continuing the narrative that he's going to win the election and she's going to stay on as his chairwoman. We know that ain't happening either. To your original point early, a little bit earlier about you know, using the RNC and using all of these enterprises to grift cash, that's what it's for. The RNC right now is nothing more than paying off the legal bills for the for for Donald Trump. So yeah, I, I don't think I don't think there's an incentive for them to go out and start a third party at this point because they've already got the infrastructure that they believe they could probably readily take over. Yeah, except Donald Trump and his scion have hijack this party and it's going to be very tough to pry it from his you know right. little his little hand grip i mean he's like it's like uh that movie with <laughs> right uh anger management you're gonna to have to pry it from my from my dying hands grip right <laughs> it's donald trump sees it as a cash cow something he's desperate for but you know michael on november 7th again you tweeted to the sdny he's all yours and based on your knowledge what will be the very first Trump indictment? And then how soon after that do you think it'll be Rudy's turn? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they were simultaneous, uh, to tell you the truth. Uh, look, I, I think that there are going to be any, I mean, the tax fraud thing is going to be a hell of a bitch for, for Donald Trump. The, you know, the way under, under New York tax laws and just the, the magnitude of, by your very own description of how uh, you had to navigate the books uh, with Trump, um, where in some instances they would increase the appraisal of, of an enterprise for the benefit of deductions and decrease the, the appraisal of that enterprise for benefit of tax uh, payments. Um, that alone is going to create a, a a logistical nightmare for him, a financial nightmare for him. But then you get into all the ancillary related criminal activity potentially around that, just not with SDNY, but with federal authorities as well. That more than anything else, I think he is scared to death of. You would know better than I how he feels about litigation. But I really, I really think that as much as anything else, that's a big part of why he's not, he doesn't want to let go because he knows who's waiting for him. He knows the reality and the truth that's waiting for him on January 21st. 
he can't yes, avoid it. You're, but you're right. He he loves litigation so long as he's not the defendant, and so <laughs> long as that the plaintiff <laughs> is not the United States of America. Um, you know, look. Uh, I certainly hope that the SDNY finally does something. You know that they're sitting with more than a dozen sealed indictments that as soon as Bill Barr got himself involved into it, all of a sudden they disappeared. Shame on them. Right. There have been many discussions recently about how to proceed with holding Donald Trump accountable for all of his crimes against this country. Now, while people demand justice, Biden will need to avoid looking like he's prosecuting the former president. I mean, we're really in a sticky freaking place right now. Is the answer to hire a special prosecutor? Is it to bring another, like, Robert Mueller to the table? Um, talk to me about how we would hold this man accountable. What's the best way for Joe Biden to do it? Because, you know, think about this for one second. If you incarcerate the former president of the United States, despite the fact that he doesn't remember shit and he didn't read any memos or anything like that. He still has certain classified information right in that in that head of his. So it's a real national security issue. So how do you hold this man accountable? And not just him, by the way, there's also Jared. And there's Eric and Don and Alan Weisselberg, the CFO. And I think I think his his children are the leverage point with him. And I think in terms of the very important recognition of what he does know, however limited that knowledge may be related to national security issues, um, I, think you, you, I think you leverage his silence on that um, against uh, any prosecution of his children uh, and, their, and their involvement in any number of these enterprises. Um, I, but I think more broadly, yeah, if I'm Biden, yeah, I probably would uh, like the idea of a special prosecutor. It takes my fingerprints off of it, so you can't put it in the political space, number one. You can't come back, oh, now the Democrats are going to prosecute President Trump. We never prosecuted Obama. Well, largely because you didn't have anything to prosecute him for, but set that aside. The reality of it is taking the politics out would be one of the first things he'd have to do He'd have to be careful not to make the mistake that Gerald Ford made uh, with Nixon, and that is not giving the country at least a bite at that apple. And, and so I, I think from that standpoint, allowing a third party independent of the political manifestations and, and, and uh, machinations, independent of, of anything that uh, may touch on the president or his son, or any of that, uh, personally, I think that's the best way to go for for Joe Biden um, at the appropriate time, and and that way you kind of move the country on and let that kind of do its thing on its own, kind of bubble on the side, and they'll report back whenever the work is done. Meanwhile, the country can go forward and deal with COVID nineteen, deal with the flatlined economy, deal with social issues, et cetera. The problem, though, is that Trump, with his 100 million followers, unless that they totally exonerate him, which is right, I'm going to totally exonerate everything, right? It, unless they totally exonerate him, they're going to claim that the special prosecutor, even if they, the special prosecutor was chosen by the, only the Republican Party, Trump would say that it's a witch hunt against him. And this creates a real serious problem for Joe Biden and all of the Democrats because... 
for so long now, what was their famous tagline? No one is above the law. Right. Well, if no one is above the law and Donald Trump ends up skating it because he was the former president, well, then somebody is above the law and it would be a corrupt president. Now, now I'm going to tell you this. Hypothetically, he's in prison and somebody wants some, you know, top secret information. Rest assured, they'll be like, okay, Donald, here's a crayon and here's a piece of paper, right? Draw me this top secret plan that you're talking about, right? I mean, the man doesn't read. If you don't give him the analysis in 60 seconds, 30 seconds, right? He's not interested. He's on to something else. But, you know, yesterday- Yeah, I learned that very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that, by the way. Yesterday, the New York Times wrote a piece comparing Trump's actions to those of other dictators who have ignored the popular vote and will of the people and seized power for themselves. What do you think historians will write about the period 20 years from today? Oh, and what oh. will be the legacy of Donald Trump and that of the Republican Party? Oh, man. Well, the legacy for the, of the party during this period and Republican leaders uh, in this, during this period will be in the shitter. There's no, there's no way around that. You, you just... There's just too much that they just completely ignored and took no responsibility for. Um, and I'm not even getting into impeachment and Mueller. I mean, there's just way too much other stuff uh, that um, the, the Senate and House leadership just completely whitewashed or tried to um, through various means. I think historians will look at this and, and say that this, that America dipped its big toe in, into the pool of fascism and absolute, uh, you know, tyrannical kind of leadership, autocratic leadership, and hopefully pulled its toe out. And this election is, is, is the act of doing that, uh, and that will remain to be seen. But I, I don't think history will treat uh, the party. They certainly won't treat Trump. Um, and in some regards, they won't treat the American people that kindly, because we have also in many ways uh, acquiesced to this. We have given license to it. We have not, and I even commented on this a couple of years ago, how stunned I was that at that time, and I forget exactly what the event was, but it was a combination. I was sitting there looking at the arc from, you know, Charlottesville to that point. I said, it is amazing to me that you had a million women show up in protest and march the weekend after the inauguration, but there's been cricket since then. No one said anything. No one's come out. No one has stood in front of the White House and, you know, with their fists going, what the hell are you doing to the country? Um, and so there was a certain uh, placation, sort of a, a, you know, almost a shrug of the shoulders at a certain point uh, by a lot of the American people. And I, I don't think it was until they actually kind of got into the mindset of, oh, okay, we have to reelect this guy. Do we want more of this? That they really started to begin to drill down on what it meant and whether or not they wanted to tolerate more of it and concluded they didn't. But you look at that window, Michael, between um, you know those first moments of Trump's administration and the revelations that were coming out then um, because of some of the steps the president was taking, some of the things he was saying, the, the lack of denial that 
the Russians interfered in our in our elections, the insistence of wrapping himself around Erdogan and Putin and Kim Jong-un and his love letters, that no one really kind of said, what the hell is your problem? Um, and, and so I think history is going to judge all of that pretty harshly uh, and, and say that in many respects, Americans gave him the license to, to ratchet up that behavior, to ratchet up the kind of responses that you and I have been talking about by this president that now has amassed him the, the number of followers he has, uh, the number of entrenched uh, sycophants who will, will, who will do as he said, as he had prescribed, you know, if he shot someone that they would be the first one that says, well, it was the other person's fault for getting shot. Um, no, it would be the company that manufactured the gun and the bullets because he can't be despite the fact that he did it. Right? I mean, look, but the difference between our crybaby in chief and somebody who's an adult like Joe Biden, so far Joe Biden has stayed very much above the fray. And he continued with his transition plans, despite a formal concession from the president or the cooperation of the GSA. Now, they seem to be unperturbed about what's happening and more than happy to allow the president to continue to humiliate himself with this fraud circus. At what point does this bullshit start to really, truly become dangerous? Because let me just say this to you. I was there when Trump won in 2016. And I remember prior to the election night, about two weeks or so prior, I had gone to Anthony Scaramucci's office and I saw Mitt Romney's transition book. It was a nice red, thick, bound book. Right. And I took it from Anthony to give it to Trump because we weren't talking about a transition team. And at that time, you had rancid penis running around the place, you know, with his clipboard and everything. <laughs> I mean, and just he's such a schmuck, right? Dude. He's just he's so worth rancid penis. <laughs> That's what he was known on the Hill. But Trump did not have a transition team. So when he won, all of a sudden you had Jared running around and everybody running around with photocopies of pages saying, hey, who do you think should be, um, you know, uh, Ambassador to Spain. Oh, I think Michael Steele should be. All right, put his name down. And then they started running it through downstairs. And on, it's so ridiculous wow. not to have a transition team, which is why he never filled most of his positions, right? If there are 1,500 right. positions, I think even to this day, he has less than 150 people that he appointed to positions. And of the 150, he probably got rid of 100 because they realized yeah. he's out of his fucking mind and you can't <laughs> work with him. I mean, this thing is becoming truly dangerous. So we are already at the danger point um, uh, for a number of reasons and in a number of ways that I, I think Americans should be concerned. One is the peaceful transfer of power is not just a tradition, but is it a statement of who we are as a nation and how we how we engage it after you know tough political battles. Um, and, and so the expectation is that we as citizens don't want the disruption of an incoming president to be blindsided by um, uh, not knowing or not being prepared uh, for uh, current events or, or potential events. Um, so that's, uh, that's a big part of it. The fact that Trump has decided uh, to hold up that process to put a lockdown on the GSA, um, the General Services Administration, 
uh, from from cooperating with and supplying the the Biden team with what they need uh, is a problem, and we should be concerned about that. As reported by the New York Times and others, evidence is is now coming out that shows that because of the, just just the hiccup from the two thousand election, right, um, that the the Bush team realized uh, after nine eleven just those pieces that were missed because of that time, not having that time to get to get a full grip and understanding of what's of what's going on. So you may say, well, that was eight, nine months, almost a year after the fact. But the fact of the matter is our, our foreign policy, our domestic policy are all very intricately intertwined and connected. They're every every piece has a purpose, serves a purpose, and means something. And if there are two, three pieces missing, whether it's information, whether it's data, whether it's personnel, as you were just referring to as um, not filling out the appropriate positions, that weakens the whole process. So yeah, I think we're in in a dangerous spot right now. Well, let me ask you this then. What threats do you see both foreign and domestic, because domestic is a problem too, while we exist in this state of transition. And in further, how do our enemies now exploit this situation to their benefit? And how worried are you about the inevitable appearance of domestic extremists and these militias when Trump exhausts all his legal matters and all of his legal remedies? We, you've got you've got the the you know the proud boys and white nationalists coming on marching on Washington uh, this coming upcoming weekend and that's a real big concern that's a real problem we don't know what that will look like everybody's getting in their four by four and driving driving into town um, to do these sort of I guess caravan parades or whatever they're doing. Um, and to try to, you know, uh, create and re- you know, and create harm or havoc, we'll see. We hope not. Um, but yeah, that's that's a real problem because we know the president sees them as his allies, um, and and so he's going to see that and interpret that as they're coming to support him. Because again, it's all about him. It's not about anybody else. Secondly, I think what what it means for our allies and and potentially how we deal with it with regard to our adversaries is that they're always looking for an opportunity to strike. And it's not the big strike. It's the small, subtle strikes that they can, that they can make that add up. And so with this type of transition where the incoming administration is not get, getting the, the international and, and foreign uh, briefings, um, the current administration is, to your point, is not focused on governing, but rather, um, you know, pissed off about having lost the election and trying to prove uh, something that's not provable. Um, yeah, you're now creating a widening window for our adversaries uh, to uh, to act up. Now, keep in mind, Michael, they don't have to act up here. This is not about something happening here or being disruptive here. It's elsewhere around the globe, you know, where they can take advantage of um, a weakness in the in the info net. They can take advantage of weaknesses 
in the diplomatic uh, uh, structure. So there are there are a lot of there are a lot of things right now that um, that speak to why, as a country, we have so regarded the transition of power as an important part of any administration. Um, because of these very things. Well, you said it perfectly. Donald Trump doesn't give a shit about anyone or anything nope. other than himself. Now, That's let me right. ask you this. Do you see Donald Trump governing at all between now and the inauguration? Or do you think he's just solely going to concentrate on pardoning himself and his friends, right, to avoid having to do anything whatsoever about this pandemic, despite the terrifying wave of death that's heading our way. Hell no, he is not. He's not. He hasn't governed yet. Why, why would he start with 70 days left in his administration? So, no, he's not going to be doing any governing. Uh, two, I think he's going to spend most of this time whining about having lost the election. You're right. He is not going to concede the second thing he's not going to do is the traditional activities related to the inauguration, including attending the inauguration. I do not believe he will attend. Yep. I said that on Ari Melba the other day. I also said he's going to leave for Christmas, New Year's to Mar-a-Lago, and he's not coming back. Yeah, right? yeah. And I think you're right. Listen, I know the guy. He cannot sit in that chair knowing that the cameras are on him. He won't know how to look because if he looks happy, doesn't make sense. If he looks angry, then it makes him look weak and he cannot be sitting in the loser's chair. But let me ask you another question, right? Because we don't talk enough about him, Mike Pence. What the yes. hell happens to Mike Pence as a future Republican leader now that Trump is mumbling about running again in 2024, right? When does he walk away from this Trump nonsense before risking his own reputation for carrying on this ridiculous charade? Well, that's, that's, that's an interesting uh, political strategy question. Despite everything else, Mike Pence is very well regarded among rank and file Republicans on Capitol Hill and around the country. He is seen um, as uh, have been uh, having been a loyal vice president under very difficult circumstances. That's pretty much the talking point about Mike Pence. That does not mean, however, that that transit will translate into an automatic nomination, you know, nominee or getting the nomination in four years. He's going to have to work that because the question still remains, one, what level of impact and influence Trump is going to have wherever Trump is, likely Mar-a-Lago with his Twitter account, um, stirring up that 40 percent inside the GOP to, you know, hammer up hammer whomever Trump wants them to hammer uh, on his behalf. And then two, how do those other lanes form, Michael? How does, how does a Tom Cotton and a uh, Ben Sass, um, and then that's the Senate level, the governor's level, a, a Larry Hogan or a, um, a Charlie Baker of, of Hogan of Maryland, my state, Baker of Massachusetts, who are going to be fighting for that that conservative center uh, space, uh, more traditional lane? So Pence is, you know, in any other normal environment, would get the would be the default. He would get the automatic. Okay, if you want it, we'll kind of you know kind of hold our nose, cross our fingers and eyes, and give it to you kind of deal. Um, particularly if people felt that there were other candidates out there that they wanna they wanna promote more. Um, 
But this is could this could be an interesting free for all, and I think it'll be interesting to see how Pence navigates those two spaces. He was a governor, he was a congressman, um, and he's vice president. So he he has he brings the he brings the bona fides, but then it's the philosophy, then it's the character, it is all these other things. And then, of course, he has to answer, well, you stood silent and accepted all this crap on COVID-19 from the president. You were in charge of the commission, and yet 200 and some thousand people died. So he's in, a, he's in an opportunistic but difficult spot. All right. So I have to ask you about something that has made me laugh since the day that it occurred. And it's really important that you give me a, an answer here because I'm still friggin' baffled about it. Yeah. What the hell happened that day at the Four Seasons Total Landscaping? Now, I believe it will ultimately become an indelible moment in the narrative of a colossally incompetent administration. Have you heard from anyone inside the party who understands how that moment came to pass and what went on behind the scenes? I mean, I get it, right? But when they first got there and you're in front of a <laughs> crematorium, a porn, a porn, and a Four Seasons landscaping in the middle of a strip mall, right, in order to discuss a presidential concession. Seth MacFarlane on, on family, family Guy could not have made this up if he tried, all right? And I think, and I think Seth MacFarlane is one of the, the, the most talented funny men that's out there. He could not have come up with this. What the hell went on behind the scenes here? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, you know, to be honest, very few people are talking about it. There are a lot of head shaking going on around that because everyone kind of like, you know, oh, the Four Seasons, okay, and then they get there to go, is that a strip joint? Is that no? What? Is, no, we can't. We're in a parking lot. Why are we in a parking lot? And yeah, it That's was a hell of an advanced team, huh? It's hell of an advanced team, but it is like everything. There's no thought given to it. It's just reaction. There's no planning given to it. It's just bombacity and, and you know, in this case, Rudy Giuliani running the show. I cannot think of one person who was so shit on his own legacy as Rudy Giuliani. This is a man who would have had schools named after him, given how he handled 9-11 uh, and how well regarded he was, that he would put all of that, forfeit all of that for Trump is amazing. And so that moment, standing in that parking lot in front of a bank of microphones, raising his arms up and just sort of, you know, gesticulating to nothing, it's just emblematic of the last four years and where and where we had and how far we have fallen as a nation that this is the mouthpiece for the country on something like yeah this. it's really it's really sad so it brings me to my final question as we're wrapping up this hour michael yeah how hard do you think it's going to be for current trump administration officials to actually obtain future employment um <laughs> in the government or in the private sector right how big of a shit stain do you think it will have on their resumes working for the trump administration um i cannot possibly imagine somebody handing a resume that would turn around and say, work for Donald J. Trump, because I know what it's done to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it, you know, a lot of it will depend on what role you had inside the administration, whether you were a career, um, uh, you know, public servant. In other words, someone who was there before Trump, um, but left because of Trump. Um, or if you were someone who were an appointee uh, or someone that he was that was brought in. The, the long and short of it is, um, as we've already seen with Sean Spicer and Reince Priebus and a few others, yeah, they can carve out a niche here and there, but in terms of actually uh, playing a, a very public role or having a role somewhere like on K Street, which is you know our sort of our, our Wall Street here in, in Washington with the lobbyists and, and, and the likes of those of those uh, groups, um, it's going to be hard. People in this town don't forget. They don't forget, and they they carry they carry a grudge. And and if they feel as as I've heard many express as strongly about what a lot of these people did inside the administration to hurt the country and to hurt the party, it's going to be hard. It is going to be very very hard for them. Um, and a lot of them, as you know, are going to come out and try to remake themselves, right? Oh what? No no no. That that no we were just kidding. That we didn't mean that. No that wasn't that wasn't real. Um and I don't think I I think Yeah, I, we didn't give them only one bottle of water when we threw the kids into the cage. Come on, you know that's not true. We gave them two. Right. I mean, it's so it's so stupid. It's yeah. so stupid. Well, look, Mike, let, let me say thank you so much. I mean, your insight is invaluable. I mean, being, you know, former head of the RNC, um I feel bad for you, you know, for the party, for you guys. Um, good for us, bad for you. But right. I, I, I would personally like to see, you know, um, what's gonna, what's gonna really happen. I'm looking forward to it, and I just want to thank you again for your time today and for, um, for being here. No, man, it's a real pleasure to come on and have the conversation. Uh, it's good to good to see you and good to chat. And, you know, look, you know, it's been tough for you in, on so many levels, personally and otherwise. But, you know, the one thing that you stand for is perseverance. And um, that that's a that's a good trait to have in tough times. So, you know, all the best and continued success to you. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Be well. All right. You too, bro. And now for today's mea culpa. I have spoken much about the sense of farce and easy parody that surrounds much of what Donald Trump is attempting to accomplish through his shameful attack on democracy. But time and again, we have failed to see beyond the joke and look behind the stench to find the actual crimes that's being committed. Time and again, we've allowed Trump to achieve his wider goals by underestimating his ability to commit heinous acts right under our noses. While the world laughed at Rudy and his pathetic performance in front of the Four Seasons total landscaping, Trump is performing a sleight of hand that keeps our eyes off the totality of his treason. Also, he remains the most powerful person on the planet for another 60 days. I know from experience what it feels like to have the full weight of the presidency acting as a weapon against me. And believe me, more of that is coming. It's terrifying in its power, and Trump will only feel emboldened to do whatever he feels like in these waning days. So, I urge all of my listeners to resist settling for the easy laugh. I know it's fun and satisfying, but this thing is far from over. I'm not talking about the election, but the larger crimes that Trump will attempt to perpetuate while no one is looking. Forewarned is forewarned, and thanks for listening. 
Maya Culpa is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up, in association with Midas Touch, and it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen, produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick, and executive producer Jared Gustav, and it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please stay tuned as we focus on the changing political moment and this unprecedented transfer of power. I'll be with you every step of the way. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. It's clear to you that de-icing the wings will not be done in a jiffy. You look for phone outlets but see none. Only photos of phone outlets. A voice announces your gate is now 39C-12B-9A. It's like musical chairs if musical chairs made you sob in the pet relief area. A child picking his nose stares. His parents have abandoned him. The airport will raise him now. Don't let flight delays ruin your vacation. Go on a real vacation. Go RVing.